section twenty four of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain george eliot's rosamond vincy and dorothea brooke the cultivated world was long ago brought to profess its open pleasure in character because it is true rather than in character because it is pleasing or edifying but whether this pleasure is real or not or whether it is not underlain by a secret preference for a character because he is good or she is pretty i am not quite sure in the theatres frequented by the simple-hearted sort of people the actor playing the part of a virtuous person is applauded and the actor playing the part of a villain is hissed irrespective of their artistic merits but this rarely happens in any two-dollar house still i am not satisfied that it would not happen if the two-dollar audience were as sincere as the fifty-cent audience and i have my misgivings in offering to the admiration of the reader a detestable character merely because it is a masterpiece one i am certain that it would be difficult to find a more detestable character or a truer than rosamond vincy who equally with dorothea brooke is the heroine of middlemarch she is a very beautiful girl and lydgate who marries her loves her with a tenderness worthy the soul that is not in her the soul that is in her is small and meanly selfish but neither she nor he knows how small or meanly selfish at first rosamond indeed has a very high ideal of herself which eventuates in an inexorable conceit after marriage when the early tumult of the emotions subsides and she has time to take full thought of her merits in contrast to her husband's demerits she is of that intensely personal nature which receives whatever happens as of direct intention toward itself and feels injured or favoured by the course of human events as if they were primarily concerned with it as the course of events is not agreeable to rosamond after her marriage with lydgate she naturally holds him responsible for them and he falls in her esteem and her affection when he finds that they have been living extravagantly and wishes her to help him retrench she never could have duly appreciated either his brilliant mind or his tender heart and she sets herself to thwart and baffle him with a success which the greatness of both his mind and heart render easy for a dull narrow pretty egotist there can be nothing more tragical than the story of their unhappy married life in which she harasses him with her paltry ambitions and resentments and wears him out at last such women literally kill men and the more generous the men the more easily they fall the prey of such women 
it is nothing to rosamond and can be nothing that her husband is recognized as a man of great scientific importance and has the making of the highest professional fame in him there is no sort of opinion public or private which could convince her that he had not wronged her by falling into money difficulties after he married her or in failing to make her life as luxurious for her as she had expected she breaks his heart and then she breaks his spirit and when he dies she inherits the money that at last comes to her from his life insurance with a sense of desert which has never once forsaken her we all know women like rosamond vincy the type is eternal and ineffaceable but a woman of her sort will complacently sit before rosamond's portrait and never dream that there is anything like herself in it the successive scenes in which her unconscious abominable selfishness is developed can scarcely be said to culminate but they each deepen and widen a little the sense of her deadly and deadening egotism and of the hopelessness with which a generous spirit like lydgate's must struggle in the clinging and stifling hold of a polyp nature like hers in a novel of later date where the dramatic method is more used the whole situation would be imparted at once but it must be seen that the partial suggestions of george eliot follow one upon another with a deepening impression till the reader's pity for lydgate's doom in the wretched creature he loves would have excused his surrender to almost any temptation lydgate suffers a certain moral decay in his endeavour to please his wife and even falls under suspicion of complicity with another's crime but at the worst he has done no wrong beyond lowering his aspirations and has only sinned against himself any one of the passages in which the author securely if slowly feels her way to the eventuality would serve to exhibit rosamond as she always is and i cannot say that i choose the first scene in which lydgate tries to make her understand the situation as stronger than the others dear rosie lay down your work and come to sit by me he said gently pushing away the table and stretching out his arm to draw a chair near his own rosamond obeyed as she came toward him in her drapery of transparent faintly tinted muslin her slim yet round figure never looked more graceful as she sat down by him and laid one hand on the elbow of his chair at last looking at him and meeting his eyes her delicate neck and cheek and purely cut lips never had more of that untarnished beauty which touches us in springtime and infancy and all sweet freshness it touched lydgate now and mingled the early memories of his love for her with all the other memories which were stirred in this crisis of deep trouble he laid his ample hand softly on her saying dear with the lingering utterance which affection gives to the word 
rosamond too was still under the power of that same past and her husband was still in part the lydgate whose approval had stirred delight she put his hair lightly away from his forehead then laid her other hand on his and was conscious of forgiving him i am obliged to tell you what will hurt you rosie but there are things which husband and wife must think of together i dare say it has occurred to you already that i am short of money lydgate paused but rosamond turned her neck and looked at a vase on the mantelpiece i was not able to pay for all the things we had to get before we were married and there have been expenses since which i have been obliged to meet i took pains to keep it from you while you were not well now we must think about it together and you must help me what can i do tertius said rosamond turning her eyes on him again that little speech of four words like so many others in all languages is capable by varied vocal inflections of expressing all states of mind from helpless dimness to exhaustive argumentative perception from the completest self-devoting fellowship to the most neutral aloofness rosamond's thin utterance threw into the words what can i do as much neutrality as they could hold they fell like a mortal chill on lydgate's roused tenderness he did not storm in indignation he felt too sad a sinking of the heart and when he spoke again it was more in the tone of a man who forces himself to fulfil a task it is necessary for you to know because i have to give security for a time and a man must come to make an inventory of the furniture rosamond coloured deeply have you not asked papa for money she said as soon as she could speak no rosie said lydgate decisively it is too late to do that i insist upon it that your father shall not know unless i choose to tell him added lydgate with a more peremptory emphasis this certainly was unkind but rosamond had thrown him back on evil expectation as to what she would do in the way of quiet steady disobedience the unkindness seemed unpardonable to her she was not given to weeping and disliked it but now her chin and lips began to tremble and the tears welled up he could not speak again immediately but rosamond did not go on sobbing she tried to conquer her agitation and wiped away her tears continuing to look before her at the mantelpiece your friends would not wish you to be without money and surely these odious tradesmen might be made to understand that and to wait if you would make proper representations to them this is idle rosamond said lydgate angrily you must learn to take my judgment on questions you don't understand i have made necessary arrangements and they must be carried out rosamond quietly went out of the room leaving lydgate helpless and wondering was she not coming back 
it seemed that she had no more identified herself with him than if they had been creatures of different species and opposing interests this is all the jewellery you ever gave me you can return what you like of it and of the plate also you will not of course expect me to stay at home to-morrow i shall go to papa's to many women the look lydgate cast at her would have been more terrible than one of anger it had in it a despairing acceptance of the distance she was placing between them i shall not touch these jewels rosy take them away again but i will write out a list of plate that we may return and that can be packed up and sent at once rosamond went to reach the inkstand and after setting it on the table was going to turn away when lydgate who was standing close by put his arm around her and drew her toward him saying come darling let us make the best of things it will only be for a time i hope that we shall have to be stingy and particular kiss me his native warm-heartedness took a great deal of quenching and it is a part of manliness for a husband to feel keenly the fact that an inexperienced girl has got into trouble by marrying him she received his kiss and returned it faintly and in this way an appearance of accord was recovered for the time two it may be said that we know rosamond vincy from the beginning and that her character does not reveal itself more fully in the different scenes that follow this but so do we know the character of hamlet from the beginning and it is new light rather than more light that events throw upon it as the drama proceeds there is no surprise but a very great interest and instruction in rosamond's meddling conceit when she interferes with lydgate's brave endeavours to get out of debt and brings shame upon him by her secret appeals to his family and in the absolute immorality of her willingness to have him so bound by a money favour to bulstrode that he is helpless to declare his suspicions of bulstrode's guilt in an affair very like murder when the shadow of this affair falls upon lydgate too rosamond feels herself chiefly aggrieved and blames her husband for her suffering through him it is by no means out of keeping with what else we know of her that she should have meantime supposed herself to be loved by lydgate's friend ladislaw and that she should have suffered his passion without returning it as a just tribute to her meritorious beauty there is of course the question which i hope will occur to the reader of these papers whether in portraying a nature so altogether odious as rosamond's the author has not been guilty of lee's complexity is not such a character too simply too singly detestable to be a true copy i confess that it comes perilously near incurring some such censure but perhaps the defence may be that we have not taken due account of mitigating circumstances in rosamond's case 
if lydgate had smoothly and splendidly succeeded as she expected from the beginning and there had been no hint of debts or troubles her conceit would have concerned itself with little insignificant things she would have been content chiefly to talk incessantly about herself and safely flirt well within a devoted admiration of her husband she would have been a pretty bore without the power of considerable mischief as she was certainly always without the wish for it or the cognizance of it there is fairly enough the implication of all this in the representation of her character as we must own when we most suspect the author of having come to hate rosamond so much that she is just to her with difficulty novelists ought not to have their favourites among their creations as parents ought not to have their favourites among their children but no doubt they have them if the novelists are women they wish their readers to share their preferences and it might be true to say the same thing of the novelists even if they are men at any rate george eliot has her preferences most distinctly and she pursues some of her women with a rancour as perceptible as her fondness for others i will not deny that i think this a defect of her art it is so and i am not going to defend it any more in the case of dorothea brooke whom she loves than in the case of rosamond vincey whom she hates with a hatred passing her hatred of hetty sorrel and gwendolen harleth and all the other anti-heroines of her books she succeeds in commending these to our dislike rather than she succeeds in commending to our liking her mamolas and mary garth and miras perhaps because in fiction as in life a woman does not know how to praise her friends sparingly enough but in dorothea brooke she has known how to hold her hand or rather has she known how so to temper dorothea's strength with weakness her wisdom with folly her good with evil as to render her entirely credible and entirely lovable three since i wrote the foregoing paragraph i have been reviewing the whole career or rather the whole character of dorothea in middlemarch and i think i can now go still farther in praise of her and keep well within the limits of reason she is of a most noble make not merely because she is of a high mind and an eager conscience but because she has a will to be generously of use to those who need her and because she is above all pettiness in the cruel disappointment which life brings when it teaches her that sometimes those who need her help most cannot receive it ungrudgingly or even at all she once says it herself in talk with will ladislaw i have a belief of my own and it comforts me what is that said will rather jealous of the belief that by desiring what is perfectly good even when we don't quite know what it is and cannot do what we would we are part of the divine power against evil widening the skirt of light and making the struggle with darkness narrower please not to call it by any name said dorothea putting out her hands entreatingly you will say it is persian or something else geographical it is my life 
i have found it out and cannot part with it dorothea is here spiritually outlined almost as strongly as she is physically intimated in this fine bit of portraiture miss brooke had that kind of beauty which seems to be thrown into relief by poor dress her hand and wrist were so finely formed that she could wear sleeves not less bare of style than those in which the blessed virgin appeared to italian painters and her profile as well as her stature and bearing seemed to gain the more dignity from her plain garments which by the side of provincial fashion gave her the impressiveness of a fine quotation from the bible or from one of our elder poets in a paragraph of to-day's newspaper but it would be doing wrong to the human part which is so great a part of dorothea as it is with all george eliot's real heroines not to let her be seen in yet another phase where her beauty is contrasted with the different beauty of rosamond vincy and the very difference of their souls is suggested in the difference of their styles let those who know tell us exactly what stuff it was that dorothea wore in those days of mild autumn that thin white woollen stuff soft to the touch and soft to the eye it always seemed to have been lately washed and to smell of the sweet hedges was always in the shape of a pelisse with sleeves hanging all out of the fashion the grace and dignity were in her limbs and neck and about her simply parted hair and candid eyes the large round poke which was then in the fate of women seemed no more odd as a headdress than the gold trencher we call a halo dorothea put out her hand with her usual simple kindness and looked admiringly at lydgate's lovely bride they were both tall and their eyes were on a level but imagine rosamond's infantile blondness and wondrous crown of hair plaits with her pale blue dress of a fit and fashion so perfect that no dressmaker could look at it without emotion her small hands duly set off with rings and that controlled self-consciousness of manner which is the expensive substitute for simplicity outlines i have called these sketches of dorothea and perhaps she is never more than outlined the inferior nature can be fully shown because it is of a material which can be palpably handled without loss or hurt but in the superior nature there is something elusive something sensitive that escapes or perishes under the touch and leaves the exhaustive study of a dumb image and not a speaking likeness rosamond vincy can be decanted to the dregs and be only more and more rosamond but if you pour out all dorothea her essence flies from you in a vital aroma she seems hardly to be contained in the story of her life but to exist mainly somewhere outside of it that story is indeed very slight and without the incidents that lend themselves to remembrance has powerful dramatic moments though it is of such a fatal pathos it is reportably that of a magnanimous young girl who falls in love with the notion of being the helpmeet of an eminent scholar because she believes in the importance of his work to the world and in her own fitness to be of use to him in it and so marries a dull passionless pedant of mean soul and mistaken mind 
who forces her out of his life from first to last because there is no room in it for any but his paltry self the tragedy of edward calcibon is that he has undertaken work inconceivably beyond his powers and that to a real scholarship his devoted labours are worse than useless but his wife's tragedy is that he himself is a greater error a sadder solecism than even these he cannot see her divine goodwill any more than he can feel value in the facts with which his learning deals it is the law of his narrow being that he must forbid almost her sympathy restrict her help to the merest mechanical effect and scarcely suffer her the efficiency of a trained nurse when his health fails it is to be said in his defence that he cannot admit her to his inner life because he has none and if on that mere outside which is his whole being he is cold and jealous and repellent that he was made so and cannot help it but dorothea's fate is not the less cruel because it is his fate too and she is all the greater because she rises above it not constantly but finally in her case as in the case of lydgate we see a meaner nature making a noble nature its prey but dorothea is more enduringly built than lydgate or else she is more favoured by chance perhaps it is scientifically accurate to say this rather than the other thing for rosamond outlives lydgate instead of dying and releasing him to new chances while casaubon suddenly in the most critical moment dies of heart failure and leaves dorothea free he has been on the point of enslaving her for ever of holding her by mortmain from that happiness to which his death must liberate her for her morbid conscience has sided with him in his jealousy of the man whom she is unconsciously tending to love and when he has put the cruelest pressure upon her to make her promise to be ruled by his wish after his death she comes out after a sleepless night to consent when dorothea was out on the gravel walks she lingered among the nearer clumps of trees hesitating as she had done once before though from a different cause then she had feared lest her effort at fellowship should be unwelcome now she dreaded going to the spot where she foresaw that she must bind herself to a fellowship from which she shrank neither law nor the world's opinion compelled her to this only her husband's nature and her own compassion only the ideal and not the real yoke of marriage when she entered the yew-tree walk she could not see her husband but the walk had bends and she went expecting to catch sight of his figure wrapped in a blue cloak which with a warm velvet cap was his outer garment on chill days for the garden it occurred to her that he might be resting in the summer-house toward which the path diverged a little turning the angle she could see him seated on the bench and his brow was bowed down on them the blue cloak being dragged forward and screening the face on each side he exhausted himself last night dorothea said to herself thinking at first that he was asleep and that the summer-house was too damp a place to rest in she went into the summer-house and said i am come edward i am ready he took no notice and she thought that he must be fast asleep she laid her hand on his shoulder and repeated i am ready still he was motionless and with a sudden confused fear she leaned down to him close to his head crying in a distressed tone wake dear wake listen to me i am come to answer but dorothea never gave her answer 
this end with whatever skill it is managed must be confessed a mechanical means of extricating dorothea from her difficulty it is to be condemned for that and it is to be regretted that george eliot had not had the higher courage of her art and the clearer vision of her morality and shown dorothea capable of breaking a promise extorted from her against her reason and against her heart it was from ladislaw and her chance of happiness with him that her husband would have withheld her and she could not have been more recreant to his will in being recreant to her word her marriage to ladislaw at last is one of the finest things and one of the truest things in a book so great that it almost persuades one to call it the greatest in english fiction it is not because middlemarch is an immense canvas thronged with such a multitude of marvellously distinguished and different figures that it so richly represents life other huge novels have been of as great scope and greater dramatic effect but middlemarch alone seems to me akin in spiritual power to war and peace it is in its truth to motives as well as results that it is so tremendously convincing after a lapse of years one comes to it not with a sense of having overmeasured it before but with the perception that one had not at first realized its grandeur it is as large as life in those moral dimensions which deepen inwardly and give the real compass of any artistic achievement through the impression received there are none of its incidents that i find were overestimated in my earlier knowledge of them and there are some that are far greater than i had remembered i have had especially to correct my former judgment i am not sure that it was mine at first hand of the character of ladislaw and his fitness to be dorothea's lover i thought him a slight if not a light man a poorish sort of bohemian existing by her preference in the reader's tolerance and perhaps as her husband half a mistake but in this renewed acquaintance with him i must own him a person of weight by those measures which test the value of precious stones or precious metals an artist through and through a man of high courage and high honour and of a certain social detachment which leaves him free to see the more easily and honestly himself dorothea made great and sorrowful mistakes through her generous and loyal nature but ladislaw was one of her inspirations a centre of truth in which her love and her duty otherwise so sadly at odds could meet and be at peace end of section twenty four